Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to our interview podcast series. We are on interview number 189, and very much appreciated on a little bit of short notice, uh, Jason Dossinger, the head boys basketball coach, and I'm going to get this right, Etoa. Did I get that right, coach? It was close. Etoa. 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 No worries. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I will get that right by the end of the podcast. So uh, <laughs> We've been trying to get people in the state to get it right forever now, so it's all good. <laughs> well, then I don't feel so bad. Then I don't no. feel uh, All right. So that, that, that clears my conscience a little bit. So, uh Coaches from Etowa High School in uh, in the Atlanta area, and we are excited to have him on. Like I said, uh, kind of a short-term thing. We had somebody uh, ready to go and then kind of had to drop at the last minute on Friday, and I, I was like, hey, this guy uh, this guy seems like he's a, a good egg, and we're going to get him on here. So, uh, Jason, really excited to have you on here. Before we get to Coach, uh, we, of course, want to uh, thank our recognize, or recognize our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you are any of your athletes are struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. Check out their practice at COSAC Cairo, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com and make an appointment with them. So follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can move up in the rankings and the ratings. When people look up Coaching Basketball Podcast, the more five stars we get, the more reviews we get, especially the good ones. We move up, and then people get more and more help from a pen and a napkin, so we want that to happen. So please do that if you would. And then, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Check out a penandanapkin.com. It's a really good coaching website. I know that because I made it myself, and there's a lot of really good things on there. So check it out. Thousands of pages of notes and lots of different things, videos, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, Jason, how are we doing tonight, my man? I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. It's an honor. Uh, You asked me what some of my influences were, and Twitter and Clinic Note PDFs are up there, and yours is an account that I've been following for a while, so this is a a real pleasure for me. So thank you again. Ah, no problem. I'm thrilled you could get on here, and and, uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation tonight. So... uh uh coach let's let's just let's just dive into this the way we normally do uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh your basketball journey and and how you ended up at etowa etowa nailed it nailed it i had it the first time you crushed it you're awesome etowa? that's right that's Ow. it gosh i'm now i'm sleeping better and better tonight jason i'm sleeping <laughs> better and better so uh tell us about etowa high school and how you ended up there as the boys basketball coach yeah, well, um, you know, I played basketball in high school for a very, you know, just an amazing coach, Alan Carden. And, uh, man, he's won a lot of games, but he's a super intense guy. And uh, back then, I just didn't really love basketball. And if you don't love basketball and you play for a guy like Coach Carden, who is just great and is going to make you great if you love it, uh, then you're going to flourish. And I and I had a great career with him, but towards the end of my career, uh, I could have taken some D2 or D3 opportunities, but instead I went to UGA. I was kind of burnt out a little bit, and uh, at UGA, I wanted to be in advertising, wanted to write some ads for ESPN, because those were all the rage at the time, and mm-hmm. then found out I might not be very good at that, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just went back to, you know, my mom is my you know biggest influence in life, and she was a teacher, and I love to compete, and a lot of my biggest influences were 
uh, my male mentors. And so decided I'd teach and do basketball. I went and did my student teaching in South Africa, which completely changed how I look at education. And it also gave me my exposure to how I could use a subject matter, whether it be government as a teacher or basketball as a sport to impact kids' lives. And so I just kind of got hooked on that. Mm-hmm. Came back to the States, uh, hit the jackpot, learning under a guy named Pat Abney at Pope. I uh, was there for nine years. And mm-hmm. so pretty long time as an assistant, but definitely worth it. Uh, then one year at Alpharetta, we had just an incredible team. I mean, we got one dude that was drafted top 10 in the NFL and then two other guys that are currently competing for a roster spot in the NFL. I wow. uh, had an unbelievable year, but unfortunately it was just, you know, an hour from my house and I just had my second child. And so Etowah was something I'd always kept my eye on, loved the community, and it was five minutes from my house as opposed to an hour and five minutes. Sure. And so I made the jump over there, and I've been there ever since. Yeah. Who was the Who was the kid that got drafted top ten in the NFL? Uh, J.C. Horn. Oh, okay. Ab- yeah. Absolute stud. He plays for the Panthers and mm-hmm. uh, one of the best leaders I've ever ever coached in my life. I love that guy. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So, uh, UGA grad. Uh, can can Kirby Smart just kind of do whatever he would like to do in in the state right now? Oh, I'm pretty yeah, pretty much. He could be the governor if he wanted to be. Um, <laughs> got to meet him and uh, when he was recruiting JC back in the day, and JC went to South Carolina, but he came to Alpharetta. And man, I'll tell you right now, uh, I'd play for him. I'd run through a wall for him. He's got everything you want in a head coach. Um, he's unbelievable. But yeah, he could. He could be the governor tomorrow if he wanted to run, for sure. <laughs> I think he's I think he's preoccupied with trying to beat Saban a couple more times this year. So. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the money's pretty good too. Yeah. And <laughs> he's where he wants to be. A little bit of a pay cut. <laughs> right. Hundred percent. A little bit of a pay cut. So um you know, Jason, uh, you uh you you were an assistant coach for a long time. I, I was it's kind of the same thing, you know, ten of my first eleven years I was an assistant. You were an assistant for nine years. Uh, looking back on it, I, I think that one of – I don't want to say I made a mistake, but I think I could have done it better, was preparing to be a head coach before uh, while I was an assistant coach. And so one of the things I like asking uh, coaches who have been an assistant coach for an extended period of time, you know, what were some of the things that you did – to prepare yourself to be a head coach while you were an assistant coach at, at such a highly successful program like you had there at Pope? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And it's something I talk with my assistants about too, because nine years is a long time. But number one thing you've got to do is humble yourself. Mm-hmm. I think every assistant coach, their first year, I was 22, you know, I'm thinking I should be a head coach. I don't know why I'm not a head coach. And after working with Pat for one day, I was like, holy cow, this guy knows way more about basketball than I think I can ever learn. And I just needed to humble myself, and I prepared myself to learn under him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, he was so much better at everything that I wanted to be. And he did a great job of preparing me. And the first thing was to master the simple. Like, I was in charge for three years. Like, I was an assistant for nine years. For three years, I was pretty much just in charge of timeouts and how many fouls. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, if I missed that, it would be a bad day. I mean, I looked up to him like my dad. And if I were to tell him we had four timeouts left and we only had three timeouts left, I heard about it. I felt terrible about it for a week. And I got really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And not a lot of people want to do that. Not a lot of people think that timeouts and fouls are a big deal. We should be managing the game. But he's the head coach for the reason. 
Um, and so to humble yourself, learn under a guy that is brilliant and then just master the simple stuff and then you'll get more stuff. Uh Um, that was huge for me. Uh Another thing he did is he made me coach JV, which I would say if you're an assistant coach, you need to be a head coach, but JV or a ninth grade team at the high school level, because you can't learn how to manage a game unless you're in those situations. And Uh when you're a young JV coach, it it feels like the NBA finals when you're out there, you know, (laughs) like you have all the pressure and so you learn how to operate under pressure and uh-huh. so i did that for about four or five years and then when i felt like i could manage the game uh i just tried to get better at strategy uh-huh. and uh, my probably the proudest moment i had as an assistant was pat one time just said he was like hey man if they're switching screens this is what we want to run and i distinctly remember it was a fall or it was a summer league game at presbyterian college and they were switching screens. And I was like, hey, we should run top. And we ran it. We scored. And he looked at me. He's like, hey, man, great call. And that meant the world to me. <laughs> no, it took five years to get to that point. Yeah. No, um, no. I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, I can I, I can recall a, a situation or two like that when I was a young assistant coach. And um, it, it, it's those it's those things that that give you the confidence that you feel like you need to to make that next step 100 percent, 100 percent. i knew if i could have his approval i was ready to be a head coach and um he gave me some great advice my first year he said listen there's going to be a time where you may not agree 100 percent with what i do and that is okay because you need to become your own self he gave me a great baseline but then he also challenged me to look outside of that and once i felt confident with the baseline then I could really evolve as uh, my own coach and owning it myself. And so that was great. And then the last year as a coach there, I had just had my second daughter. And so I stepped down from an assistant. I just was a ninth grade coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, that was one of the best times I ever had. And it also taught me that sometimes, you know, your play, it don't matter how good you are as a coach, your plays aren't always going to work. And it matters about the players. I think I was a ninth grade coach. I knew the situation. We were up one with 20 seconds left in the third quarter. I was like, okay, we get a timeout because I know we're getting the ball back. So I call timeout. I draw the perfect play. We're going to score, get the ball back. We'll have it again, and we're going to get up like seven. Belichick, yep. We run the play, wide open layup to our best player. He is not guarded, and he just throws it off the rim because he's a ninth grader. It gets tipped out to our least talented player who has a half-court shot as time expires. We go up four, and I just sit back, and I'm like, you know what? It's about the players, man. It's not about me. And that was a huge lesson to learn. I don't know if I learned that if I'm not a ninth-grade coach for one year. So um, I would just tell assistants to embrace it and get just master what you're given, and then you'll be given more. And, um, you know, that's what I learned over nine years. And it's a humbling experience because after year five, you're like, man, I'm better than this guy or this guy or this guy. But I would not have been the head coach I was if I wasn't there for nine years. Mm-hmm. So when you got the opportunity, like you said, you ended up in a great place, Alpharetta. Uh, that's the one I did get right, uh, pre-roll here. So I- I'm going to say that one a couple of times just because I got that one right. So, uh, you know, and, and it was a magical year. I- I- I'm going by memory here. I think the year before you went, the the, the-, the school went, to, or the program went 10 and 18. You guys went like something like 25 and 4, something along those lines. Uh, but yeah. then, like you said, it was it was a uh, you know a a tough situation for you to manage doing all that driving and so forth and so on. But regardless, it, it had to be very very difficult to move on. You know, uh, you know how how did you handle that 
process of talking to your administration, talking to your players, explaining where you you were coming from, and just the the emotions of it. Because you you grow attached to kids, even if you're only around them a year. That's that's hard to walk away from it. So tell us a little bit about that, Coach. Yep. Um, everything you said is true. Um, but the one thing I learned at Pope, and the one thing I instilled at Alpharetta, and I told our guys, well, two things actually. Number one, lead by example. And number two, our motto was you put your faith first, your family second, um, school and then basketball. And while it was a very difficult decision, it was an easy one to make because mm-hmm. it put my faith and family uh, ahead of basketball. I was not a very good husband that first year. Uh, I was not a very good dad that first year because I wanted to be all in. And so I'm driving an hour and I wanted to be involved in the community and the school. So I'm going to football games, softball, tennis. I'm, I'm teaching and then basketball hit and I'm not, you know, it's like I'm gone for a week. I yeah. would leave before my kids got up and I'd get home before they went to, or after they went to bed. And it was an easy decision to make for my family. And that's one thing I encourage coaches to always remember is if you're not happy at home, you're never going to be happy on the court. And we were super successful and those kids were so good. Um, and it was very hard to tell them that, but I got to tell them like, listen, guys, I'm living out what I want you to live out. Like I've got to make this move for my family and I love you. I'm going to be your number one fan. Um, when I hit 100 wins a few years ago, JC, Ellis, Carlos, Ryan, Brandon, all those guys that I coached, uh, my assistant coach, Coach Reed at the time, put together a film, and they all spoke on the film. And it made it a little bit better. But I was making a decision that would be better for me in 10 years and maybe not three weeks. And those first three weeks were awful. Yeah. But um, it was what was best for my family, and I had to do it. Yeah. So – you you go through the nine years at Pope. Uh, you have the one year as a head coach at Alpharetta. And again, I'm going to say that again because I got it right. Uh, <laughs> yep. And, and then you move on to the next job. And so year one at Etowa. Did I get it right? Etowa. Etowa. God darn it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Etowa. Uh, at Etowa is, is, is year two. Uh, two head coaching jobs, two years. You know, like you said, there's only w- one way to learn, and that's learning on the job. So you had this year at Alpharetta, and then you went to Etoa. And what did you take in those 365 days? What were some of the things that you learned at Alpharetta that you could apply at the new job to help that m- make that a-, a better job and have you do what you felt like was a better job in year two? Yeah. Um, well, the number one thing was to just trust yourself. Uh, I knew that I had the backgrounds at Pope and we were successful at Alpharetta. Um, but as a head coach, especially your first few years, if there's any complaint, you take it seriously because you want to be perfect. And I remember we had just won a pretty prestigious Christmas tournament. I think we were 19 and one at the time. The MVP of the tournament, I think he had like 25 points a game and averaged like eight rebounds. And the next morning after he was named MVP and we won the tournament, I'm in my office um, with a parent saying I'm not using him the right way. And I was just like, what is going on right now? Like, that we're kid? as successful as we've ever been. That particular that player? I learned very quickly, everyone's going to have a complaint. It doesn't matter if you're 19-1 and one or 1-19. and 19. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me at Etowah because I was just like, you know what? We're going to go with what we know. We're going to go with the process, and I'm going to get better. But what we're doing is right for these kids. And if people have a problem with it, it's just – it's out of my control. Mm-hmm. And 
that was the biggest thing I want, uh, I learned there. But uh, some other things is, you know, I Pat was really, really good at sets. And our dudes at Alpharetta, man, they were just freak athletes. I mean, I'm talking three guys right now competing for NFL spots, two guys that went on to play college basketball that I know of, and I'm sure some younger guys did as well. And I needed to let them play a little bit more. I was too set in my ways of running good stuff, uh, not letting them be great at what they're great at. And I learned that the hard way because we did have a phenomenal start, but then we hit some adversity. And some guys got hurt, and then we weren't ready for those roles. And so giving players more control early, losing more early, uh, can help you out a whole lot more in the end. But as your first year as a head coach at Alpharetta, you know, I just want to win every game. I want to prove to everyone that I was ready for it. And we did do it, but I think it hurt us in the end because we were so systematic. And when one guy went out, the system went down. And so – that was a big thing for me as well was just learning that your players again have way more, way more, you know, impact on the game than you do as a coach. And that was a humbling thing, but also a good thing. And so I took all of that and uh, I took it to Ottawa and had some great kids and, you know, was just kind of off to the races from there and learning every year how to get better. But that was probably the main stuff that I took um, from Alpharetta that. And the last thing I would say is, our scrimmage game my first game ever as a head coach we're down 25 at the half we lost by 20 and I remember putting my hands on my head and my assistant said don't ever do that don't let your kids see you do that but then we won the next 19 and it was one of those like it's okay to lose early if it's going to make you win later Mm -hmm. Um, but as coaches you want to win every single game and you just get so lost in that that you don't understand like it's a long year yeah. It's a long season. And so ever since then, I've scheduled really tough preseason to get us ready, hopefully for some runs towards the end. And so that was another good thing that I learned. Mm-hmm. I, and I agree with you, Jason, that uh, I, I think I was probably the same way when I was younger, that you get so locked in on that game that night, uh, win or lose. If you win, you're over the top, you're elated. If you lose, you feel like it's the end of the world. It's just like uh, just one step at a time, one step at a time. How did we? It's it's not about the the result, but how did we play it? I think that, I think that just takes time to really learn the ebbs and the flows of a season as a head coach to really try to uh, know what to get really upset about and what you believe will work itself out. Uh, for me, I know that I look at okay, how was our effort? How was our attitude? Did our execution get better from game three to game four? If that's coming along, then we're moving in the right direction. You know, just things like that is is bigger than the winning and the losing, you know, in that first month of the season or so. Is that is that kind of the way you look at it as well now? A hundred percent, yes. That's how I work. look at it now, and it has saved my life probably five years. <laughs> um, so, yes, you're a hundred percent right, and that is, uh, like you said, it takes time to get that, and you have to be confident in yourself mm-hmm. that it's okay to lose some. You don't have to win every game, but, yep, you're a hundred percent right on that. Mm-hmm. Coaches, put it on your calendar right now. Saturday, October 14th, Sunday, October 15th, 2023. The first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat here in Omaha. We've got a little bit of everything for everybody. We are going to start our day 10 a.m. Saturday morning with a live 
practice session with Kirk Walker and the College of St. Mary's women's basketball program here in Omaha. Then we're going to move everything to the Holiday Inn Express here in Omaha, 87th and Dodge. We've got a lot of things planned. We've got speakers like myself talking about 25 universal truths in coaching along with practice planning and a practice, uh, planning an efficient practice. We've got Jeff Steinis, the boys assistant coach at Ames, Iowa, talking about building a complete program. We've got Tyler Shaw, the girls head coach at Sydney, Nebraska, talking about coaching cheat codes. And we've got Tom Crable talking about transition basketball and transition offense and the Boys Town way of doing things out of Boys Town here in Omaha. The best thing about a pen and a napkin clinics, though, is the interactive part of it. We've got small group coaching roundtables where you're going to pick the brains of three or four other coaches at the same time. Then we're going to have big group discussions. You're going to come up and you're going to have to talk. When you come to a pen and napkin clinic, you've got to bring your own ideas. We're going to have a situation score discussion on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have a basketball smorgasbord session where we're going to talk about issues that coaches need to think about off the floor and how things can derail you off the floor and how to prepare for those type of things. So it's going to be a great weekend at a very, very affordable rate. If you would like to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Express, it's $175 for everything, your room, your food, your drinks, everything that we've got going on, you're going to be taken care of there. If you're a commuter, it's $100, $100. All of this, it's, it's 26 hours, coaches. It's 26 hours of awesome awesome information. And again, the best thing about it is you are going to be picking the brains and learning from other coaches. You're not just going to be sitting there getting lectured to the entire time. We're going to be moving around. So hotel rooms, we need to have at least 10 rooms filled. I'm sorry, five rooms filled with 10 uh, boarders by September 15th. That's my cutoff date. So if you want this to happen, get signed up now. So we fill up those five hotel rooms with at least 10 coaches. Commuters, you got till October 12th to get signed up and ready to go. Coaches, you're not going to regret this. There's a lot of really good places to go, but I really think we do it really well here at A Pen and a Napkin. So come check out our first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat. One of the things I thought was interesting, Jason, when you sent me your stuff was you said a couple of times that you guys are what is called a non-recruitment school. And I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble by saying that or whatever. But, uh, you know, outside of and – and I've heard that from uh, more than one person out of Georgia. So so what are we talking about there when you say non-recruitment school? I mean, I, I, I know what it means, but what does it mean mean, I guess? What's, <laughs> what's the deeper meaning, you know? Yeah. Hundred percent, and at, you know, I wrote that down, and I actually have it start in my notes. I was like, you know what, recruiting or recruiting school is a loaded term in high school. So I'll just say this: we've got some schools that get four to five new kids every year that all happen to be three, four, and five stars. Uh, I don't know how. I'm not going to make any allegations. I don't know, you know, yep, how they get them. Maybe it's just an attractive school, great academics, and you know they're traditionally a power. So kids want to go there. Sure. National schedule. You're on TV all the time. Like I get it, hundred um, percent. We just don't have that, I guess, aura around our program. Um, you know, some people continue to call us Idawa, which is completely fine. You're not the only one. It's our own state. They don't know who we are, and so we're not going to attract a lot of transfers. I do know that we had a really good point guard that is at Virginia Tech right now, who was contacted by about six or seven high schools that you know, thought that it was a better opportunity over there. But I don't know if they do that all the time. Maybe people just show up. (laughs) I I don't know. I would just say that we don't get a ton of transfers every year, Uh um, which 
is fine. Like we've accepted that and we build that into our culture. We kind of take that as like, we're doing it for all the guys that have had kids since the seventh grade. But, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is sure. I don't, I can't say no. who's recruiting, I, who's not. But. I get it. No, no. I, I mean, Omaha's a, a big town. We have a lot of high schools. Uh, my, my friends and I, uh, we have, we have come to call, uh, March, April, and May, uh, the transfer portal at, at our level, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. I'm at a smaller school now outside of the city, so we don't have that, uh, nearly as much, but it's present, you know, and, and so, uh, what's, what's kind of some of the, you know, what are some of the pros of your own situation? What are some of the cons of that? Obviously kind of a, address some of the cons where it's like, you know, that five-star is, is not just probably going to walk through your door saying, you know, I heard about this place. I'd I'd love to come to school here. Type of a deal. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably the biggest con. Uh, yep. But but you know you know what are what you know kind of go into that a little bit. Sure. Well, I mean the pros for me, and it goes back to you know my time in South Africa and my time figuring out to be a coach, which is I'm in this to impact his lives. And so the pros are you get to see young men develop over the course of five to seven years, mm-hmm. and you get to see them go as seventh graders up until seniors and. This was my first year where, um, you know, one of the things I do, and we may talk about it later with the junior program, but I can't coach kids after my season um, until October. Uh, We can get them in June, but even fall leagues, we have someone else coaching them. So I would always take my seventh graders who weren't going to be in high school. They're going to be eighth graders. And I would coach them in an AAU, uh, two AAU tournaments. Just, hey, give me two weeks out of your season. It's AAU and seventh grade. It doesn't matter. And I can coach them. And so seven years ago, I coached a group, seven out of eight of those kids were on our final four team this year. And I just got to know them and become a huge part of their life. And they became a huge part of my life. And it's not like a little brother situation. They're some of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you get that if you get a new group every year. Um, So that's a huge pro for me. Uh, I mean, we have a picture of our, our guys this year, eight out of eight seniors are holding up a trophy in fifth grade. And then the same eight out of eight are holding up our region trophy this year. And I just don't think you can put a price tag on that. And so that is the biggest pro that I've got. Uh, The cons, you know, we don't have superior talent and we may not have the best win-loss record in the history of the state. Uh, And we may not win a state championship. But for us, we're okay with the cons because the pros are just so, so important to me. I'm in it for kids. I'm not in it for basketball. Mm -hmm. So. That's that's kind of how I would uh, approach our program, and it just it's a lot more work at the younger levels. But we've got a staff, and we've got a junior coordinator and co- coaches that are bought into it, and so it's really just the way it is now. And we just go and deal with it, and you know we try to beat all those teams. Yep, yep. I thought one of the interesting things you said, Jason, was uh, how y- you scout and then also kind of build your own teams around your least talented players which is a which is a unique perspective but it it makes sense if i'm thinking of it the way that you're thinking of it but i'm going to allow you to to explain that to us a little bit yeah well i mean we like i said we don't have four or five stars coming in every year and so um this philosophy really came to be after my second year at etowah we lost in the sweet 16 to a very very good team and a very good coach and we had a guy that was very electric but could not he was struggling to shoot from the outside and in that game, they did not guard him. And I was not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I was not prepared for how to use him without him shooting or scoring. And so from that day on, I just said, I'm never going to have that happen again. And so we know what our good players can do. We've got to figure out a way 
to maximize our guys that may not have the same abilities as others. And so our entire philosophy is to minimize our weaknesses and to maximize other teams' weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And it starts with communication. That's a hard thing to do. But to tell a kid, hey, listen, we just took 63s in five minutes unguarded, and you made 20 of them. Like, that's not good unguarded. Yeah. And so if you want to play for us, you got to learn how to screen. You got to learn how to roll. You got to make a layup and all the other stuff you can work on in the offseason. But having a tough conversation early about, hey, this is what you're really, really not good at right now. And that's okay, but don't do it in the game. Mm-hmm. And when they stop guarding you, like, what are we going to do? If it's a kid that can't shoot, we're going to find ways to run him into a ball screen so his man's just standing in the paint. And now, if we set a good screen, our best player's got a wide open shot. Um, you know, zoom action, ram action, all that stuff. You know, they can set flares because they're guys, you know, sitting in the paint. But just trying to figure out from a scouting standpoint, like, what are they going to do and how can we negate that? And one thing that has really helped me, and it's a great, I think, a great practice is some of the guys that I'm friends with as coaches that are non-region coaches, after we play, I ask for their scattering report. Mm, okay. Hey, will, you just, will you just give me your scattering report and tell me what you think of my guys? And then we can say, okay, this is what a really good coach is going to do to guard us. And we try and, you know, fix that. And so that's been huge for us. Um, And there's all sorts of players out there, right? There's kids that can't shoot at all, but they're super athletic, set good screens, all that good stuff. You can maximize that. There's kids that all they can do is shoot, which is great because we can drive it to their side. And if their man doesn't help, we have a wide open layup. And we can also have them be a screener. So they're going to set good screens, and if there's no help on the screen, we're going to have a good shooter having a wide-open three. And if they do help, then our best shooter now has a wide-open three. So there's lots of ways you can game plan for it. You just have to be honest and say, this kid can't shoot. Or all he can do is shoot. He can't create off the dribble, so let's make sure we get him in situations where he just is a catch-and-shoot guy. Mm -hmm. And when you know that, then your philosophy is pretty easy. And you just go year by year because you never know what you got coming up. Mm-hmm. So that's how we do things at Etowah. We just really want to, again, minimize our weaknesses. And then on the flip side, we're going to maximize the weaknesses of the other teams. We're going to find those guys that can't shoot. We're not going to guard them. Yeah. Yep. And and so that's what we've done. And I think it's been pretty successful. But it's it takes a lot. And it takes kids to buy into that role. And some kids do and some kids don't. And you just got to figure out how to manage that. I like the idea of asking for your for the scouting report from your opponent. I think that's a really creative idea to, you know, have, have a, have an opportunity to self scout yourself through somebody else's eyes. And yeah. I, I just, I think that's a, I think that's a fascinating idea. Well, it's super, it's super good for our kids. Cause if we've been telling a kid that like, listen, you're, you're not really shooting the ball well. And then they see like another coach who said, this guy can't shoot. It's like that. We're not just saying it. Like, it's not just us, but there's other people out there. And so we can work on you shooting, but until that happens, like let's figure out some different ways and it opens their eyes too. Um, So it's been a great practice, but you gotta, you gotta find coaches you trust that will do it. And um, it's, it's a really good thing to do if you can. Yeah. It's not just us, Billy. It's, it's, it's other people as well. (laughs) Yeah. I know you hear everything you hear at your house, but like you can't shoot the ball. It's just, you know, sorry. It's just not happening. Uh, you, you had a couple quotes in there, Jace. I really liked. You're, you're more focused on a wedding ring than a state championship ring. I love that. Uh, go a little d- bit deeper on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's again when you're not really focused on winning a state championship. 
you want to focus on the whole point of high school athletics. In my mind, the whole point of high school athletics is to make kids better on and off the court. You want their time in your program to be the best time of their day. And you want to be able to instill in them life lessons through the game that will help them. And so we tell our guys, like, we don't care if we win a game. Um, We're going to try our hardest to win those games. But we want you to get better at life. Uh And so we've put some pretty – we've got four, like, core principles in our culture um, that I didn't come up with. I've read some really good books. Um, J.P. Nurberg, I think his book, The Culture System, is very good. Um, and then Brett Ledbetter, what drives winning teams. Yep. Um, and then just, you know, they focus on building your culture and building these kids up. And um, so from those books and from my assistant coaches, uh, we've come up with four things that we think are just going to translate in life. And it's funny <laughs> when you love kids more than you love winning, you start to win a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we compete, we don't compare. We're just going to go out there and compete. We're going to compete in practice. We're not going to compare what we're doing to what Brandon Rexsteiner is doing. Brandon Rexsteiner is going to Virginia Tech. He's going to be an all-ACC player in the next few years. Uh, he, he, I think he's going to make it to the league. And he's there for a reason. And if you're comparing yourself to that kid, like you're going to get your, – your joy is going to be taken. Like just compete every day. Um, compete for that sales job. There may be people more qualified for you, but you go compete for that thing and you might get it in 10 years. And if you learned how to compete with us, then we're happy about that. Um, We want to embrace um, challenges. Resiliency is a big thing for us. Seek out challenges. In Georgia, there are challenges everywhere you want to go. I mean, our first five games this year, three of them are nationally ranked opponents. We got our brains beat in, but we ran to it. We didn't run from it. And we want kids to do that in their own personal lives. Like, Life isn't going to be easy. And so you can either run from adversity or you can run to it. And then you can thrive on that, um, those challenges. Whether you, you know, completed the challenge or you failed, you're getting better. Um, and then we really try to get these guys to be selfless. And selflessness on the basketball court is setting the screen, getting someone else open, diving on the floor, taking a charge. And we do all that stuff. But Probably the coolest thing I've ever done as a head coach, and I can't take credit for it. Ben Ferris is in charge of our Special Olympics in the county, and my um, assistant coach is good friends with him. But this year, um, we practiced every Monday night in the offseason with a Special Olympics softball team as they got ready for a state tournament. Awesome. And that was selflessness. That was putting ourselves um, – putting them in front of ourselves and just going and contributing and helping them out any way we could. And if you ask our guys what their favorite part of the year was, I don't think a lot of them are going to say get to the final four. I think a lot of them are going to say softball practices because it was such a fun time. And we learned how to put others in front of ourselves. Um, And then we want guys to love themselves. Um, We tell, we preach it all the time. Your value comes from who you are, not what you do. You can have a bad game. And again, this comes from, what drives winning teams. And he talks about Steph Curry going 0 for 9 um, in one game. And then the very next game, I think he said like a record for threes made. And he didn't define himself based on that game. He knew who he was. Uh, he loved himself and he was confident in himself. And one bad game, one bad practice does not take that away. And so one bad job opportunity, one missed interview, whatever it is, you're still who you are. Love who you are. Believe in yourself and go be better. And if all of that comes together, then hopefully those guys are going to invite us in 10 years to a wedding. And I'm actually going to one in three weeks from a kid 
uh, at Pope High School when uh, we played Jalen Brown mm-hmm. three times. Wheeler beat us. We sold out all three events. Wheeler beat us every time by, I think, a combined total of less than 10 points. Wow. Um, and every single person on that senior class is going to be at the wedding, and we're all going to play golf on Friday, and I'm going to be there to see that. And honestly, in my mind, that means way more than watching us win a state championship that year. Um, and so that's what our program's about, and that's what I care about, and that's how we you know, go about our business. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal. Coach, at this time, we're going to pivot, as you well know. Uh, we're going to jump into the John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, Jason, are, are, are you ready, sir? Uh, from Wooden, a lifetime of observations, are you ready, sir, for the John Wooden quote of the day? I've tried to be ready. I've listened to a lot of them, and I've read a lot of his books, but I don't know if I am, so hit me with it. All right. From Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, page 129, the Wooden uh, quote of the day is, Sports, i.e. basketball, show us so clearly how to work together with others. I've often used the comparison of a movie or a stage play. One great actor or actress isn't enough. I wanted my players to understand that, like a movie, a basketball team needs a variety of individuals all working very hard for the good of the group. Man, what a great quote. And uh, honestly, didn't know you were going to use it, but a perfect situation to shout out my assistant coach, Brandon Johnson, and the work that he did with our bench players. Um, because I think what that quote is saying is it's just not about the all-stars. It's about everyone that's involved. And... Uh, Mike Young, head coach of Virginia Tech, uh, who I have a ton of respect for, uh, and his assistant coach, Kevin Gleitner. I don't know if that's right. That might be like Etowah. I probably pronounced it wrong. And I'm really <laughs> sorry if he listens to this. but You are forgiven, they came coach. And watched, <laughs> what's that? You are forgiven. Thank you, yes. Uh, they came and watched one of our games uh, to you know just stay in touch with Brandon, our point guard, and they came to me afterwards and said, man, coach, you had the best bench I've ever seen in a high school game. And it was because those guys bought into what their role was. And it may not have been scoring 20 points a game, but it was loving on those guys during the game. They got a technical foul this year for cheering, which I thought was silly, but it did happen. And I, we were glad for it. And I didn't know this until after the fact. But the next day, my assistant coach, Coach Johnson, says, hey, Coach, uh, we're going to have to get some pizza for the guys. And I was like, well, you know, why are we getting pizza for the guys? It's like, well, I told them if they got a technical foul for cheering, then we'd buy them pizza. And so <laughs> I said, oh, I said, oh, really? Okay, well, we'll get them pizza. And it was a brilliant move because it got them to buy into their role, like a play, like a movie. Uh, Tom Hanks just wrote a great book about making movies, and it really spotlights the dudes that are there for a year, not the actors that come on set for 30 minutes. And so I agree with John Wooden in that, that basketball is – way more than the major players, but everyone has a role. And if you buy into that role, not only are you going to have success on the court, but off the court, you are going to build bonds with guys forever. And our bench mob, I think, is a great example of that quote. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, the dude is never wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny how it's timeless. It's timeless information. He's always right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say about that quote. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. So, um Jason, let's let's jump into some of your stuff. Uh, you know, you're talking about roles, and I don't know if 
I've ever in, in the hundred and how many of these things that I've done. Yeah, I sent you the the, the survey and, and you sent me a lot of really good stuff back. I don't know if I've ever had a coach that so readily admitted their weaknesses. And I'm not saying that there hasn't been coaches uh, that haven't said, you know, well, I'm not perfect. I mean, we've, you know, almost, you know, pretty much everybody that's ever been on here has been very humble, very, you know, so from the biggest names to the smallest names, so to speak. Um, but I thought it was so interesting. I've never had a coach that really just readily said, yeah, you know what? I'm not very good at this. And, 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 but what I loved about it was the way you addressed it, where you construct a staff where you've got your strengths as a head coach, but then you try to hire assistant coaches that are going to be better at something that you're not good at in a very conscientious manner. And so I thought we'd start there, Jason, talking about uh, your uh, philosophy of finding those assistant coaches that are going to help you with your weaknesses and allow you to excel at your strengths as a head coach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'm completely transparent and honest about what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. I'm terrible at skill development and I'm terrible at press defense and I'm terrible at offensive transition. I'm just not good at it. It doesn't interest me and I'll spend a lot of time on it and I'm not good and that's okay. Um, But, you know, I always used to, when I was young and dumb, I always used to like roll my eyes when head coaches said they were CEOs and I was like, no, you got to control every part of your program and blah, 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 blah. And I did that for like three years and I was miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all started with my head or my assistant coach at Alpharetta and the Lord just had it in, you know, in the cards, but Kendrick Reed, um, is someone I hired there and we had a great, uh, interview. He was passionate. He loved kids. And then come to find out like, he's really good at pressure defense. Um, and he's just phenomenal at it. And I wasn't, and I was like, you know what? Here you go. And again, it was one of those things where I had learned where, you know, I want to empower these guys because I want them to be on the side. And so I didn't really care if it worked or not. I was like, I don't want to do it because I'm not mm-hmm. good at it. I don't want to go research it. So you, you're you good. Do it. And he was great at it. And I was like, holy cow, like this guy is doing this and I don't have to do it. It's saving time and energy out of my life and mm-hmm. we're getting better. And yeah. why wouldn't I do that? Um, and so I just found it was so much easier to admit what you're bad at and find people that are good at it and give them the keys yeah. and observe how they do things and, you know, jump in every once in a while if it doesn't fit the base formula, but rarely does it, you know, go away from that. And it made me better. It uh-huh. gave me time to go and love on kids because I'm really intense and I coach really, really hard. And if those kids don't hear me tell them I love them every practice, then they're not going to believe it. If I just say it at the opening house meeting and, you know, in huddles at times, like I got to show them, but I couldn't do that if I was micromanaging. And so, um, I'm fine with it. I I'm okay. I'm not good at skill development. And so, um, I find guys that are good at it and I just give them the keys to the kingdom. I mean, Brandon Johnson, I talked about him earlier, man, he is phenomenal at skill development. He, we hired him. Uh, got lucky because it's hard to get guys like that in public education because you got to be good in the classroom and so on and so forth. And he's probably the best teacher at our school, but he is a statistics teacher and he's really big on statistics. And he started a 25,000 shot club for our guys in the summer. 
And I can tell you last year, it was his first year with us last year, and he would always come up to me like, Coach, can I do this? I'm like, you're in charge. Do whatever you want. Like, yeah. I don't even want to think about it. I trust you. Do it. And, I mean, I think a lot of teams would say we were one of the better shooting teams in the state last year, and it was because of him. It had nothing to do with me uh-huh. um, other than just letting him be great at something. Yeah. And when you do that, you get – the buy-in from your assistants they have your back no matter what and the best part of our run this year was in my mind other than the kids like hanging out with my guys after a game we celebrated or if we lost we'd go back and talk about it but we weren't trying to get anyone's job we were just working together and it made me not burn out like you get so you know how it is oh hey hey. victim you want to feel burned out every year i'm sure yeah no, I mean, that's <laughs> the, the huge reason why I took two years off was, was I was trying to burn it at, at both, uh, both ends, trying to burn the candle at both ends. Uh, if, if, I'd have kind of, if I could have found a third end to burn it at, I would have, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I do a better job at it. I, I, do, I know I do a much better job at it. I think there are things that I can do better at. Uh, but like you said, uh, and, and I've said this before on the pod, one of the things that I took, or one of the big quotes I remember during that time was Mike Neighbors saying, um, if it doesn't involve winning, I don't do it as a head coach. And man, Jason, that stuck with me. That just absolutely stuck with me. So if it doesn't involve winning, I try not to do it. Now, there's certain times, especially at the high school level, because you don't have the support system that Mike Neighbors has at the University of Arkansas. But I do my best to say, okay, uh, assistant coach, you know, one, two, or three, whatever, you got to do this, you do this, you do that. And um, if you want me to kind of give you an idea of how I would like to see it, I can do that. And then you take it from there. If you just want to take it, take it, run it by me before you make it public, and let's go from there. And I think that I see other coaches making, in hindsight, I see other coaches putting themselves in that situation of trying to be the the almighty person and put out every single fire within the program and so forth. And, and so I know exactly what you're saying, and that delegation piece is really, really hard to do because if you're a head coach, you you feel like you've worked really hard to get to this point, then you have that feeling, well, if I'm in charge, I feel like I have to do it or nobody can do it the way I want it done and all of those different things that go into it. So I, I think that's a great philosophy for you to have. And I, I, the one thing I'm kind of curious about is, is you know kind of the, the 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 cousin Eddie you know you serious Clark like where you're just yeah. saying go just do it I don't care do what you want to do uh, how long does it usually take for your assistants to pick up on that uh, at least a year yeah <laughs> at least a year I've uh you know we hired a guy named Mike McCard who was a state champion at St Francis he had coached and dudes in the NBA and I remember even in the region tournament because you're right like at the end of the day it does reflect on us if we win or we lose. And I'm a hard guy to, to play for and also to probably to coach with. And it's all about developing that relationship, knowing that in the moment I'm a little crazy, but I, I do enough, I think, to support them in the back to let them know, like, even if I disagree with them on a big stage, like, I still want their input. Yeah. And it takes them about a year. I remember Coach Johnson, 
you know, nicest guy in the world. Um, I, you know, I, I give my guys this year, I had the, I think one of the greatest staffs in, you know, high school basketball at Kendrick Reed came back with us as a community coach. Larry Cohen was doing a great job with their ninth and JV hired an ex player Debo who, is really good with trends in college and the NBA. And he'd be like, coach, this is what they're doing. And Brandon needs to do this to get ready for Virginia Tech. And I was like, I never thought of that. Great idea. And then a guy that's been with me for seven years, Jay, who I think a big thing about assistance too, is you need different personalities. Yeah. Uh, Jay has been with me seven years. He's the calm. He's the yin to my yang. And he's almost my emotional coach. And so he was with me. And then Coach Johnson was, and I gave Kendrick and Jay defense. I said, y'all are in charge of defense. You know this is what I want. Y'all run it. Like, I'm not running defensive drills. I'm going to go love on kids. And I said, Coach Johnson, um, and I asked Coach Johnson, says, you know, one thing I asked assistants is, do you want to be a head coach? If you want to be a head coach, okay, do what you're good at, and then tell me what you're not good at. I'm going to empower you to do that, too. Coach Johnson was like, Coach, I'm pretty good with defense, but I want to learn more offense. I was like, okay, you're in charge of our offense with me. And I remember one practice, like we called a play, and to be honest, and he doesn't know this, so I hope he doesn't listen to it, but <laughs> I didn't really know how the play was supposed to work, but I knew it wasn't that way. And I, <laughs> after it didn't look good, I just walked by, and under my breath, I was like, hey, man, you need to know the freaking play next time. And after, you know, I said that, which I should have never said, you know, we go in the office, and he does the right thing as an assistant. He's like, I just want to apologize to everyone for snapping a coach, shouldn't have done that. The next day, we had a meeting man-to-man. He's like, Coach, don't ever do that again. Um, don't don't challenge me like that in front of kids. And I was like, well, I didn't think it was in front of kids, but I get what you're saying. And it took him a while to understand, like, I'm still the head guy. If it's not going the right way, I'm going to say something, but it's all out of love. And, again, it's that compete, don't compare. Mm-hmm. Like, just compete. Just get better at it. Don't compare, like, how you feel right now to what I'm doing because I can do things that you can't as a head coach. And it took him a while to learn it. And – learn me honestly not learn it but learn me because i'm i'm crazy Mm -hmm. but um it was it was a good learning process for the both of us but yeah it takes about a year or two for my assistants to realize like it's not i'm not trying to catch you yeah i'm just trying to navigate you in different ways and sometimes you know i'm a competitor it comes out aggressively and um but that's why you build you know you do your coaches retreats and you take care of them financially and you, you know, you know, give them stuff, you empower them and you let them know this is a team effort. And so even if I'm crazy on one day, like I still have your back. So it does take a while. Um, but it's, it's better in the long run for everybody, for all of our players, for them, for me, it just takes so much off your plate as a head coach. And it allows you to do it for the reason you do it, which is the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to run every drill. I don't want to do that. I want to love on kids half the practice mm-hmm. and empowering your guys and making sure they're good at it is just a lifesaver. It saved 10 years on my career. Mm-hmm. Coaches, do you want to look good? Pfft, stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good-looking stuff here. We've got T-shirts and sweatshirts, and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good-looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. 
Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some of Pen and a Napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, send me a direct message, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. So, uh, Coach, let's talk about your, your youth program, your feeder program, what you're doing there at Etoa. Did I get it right? Etoa? Uh, Etoa. Etoa. That's okay. Gosh, I'm going to get it. Jeez, it's okay. It's okay. How many times do I got to screw this up? All right. It's this is this is the stubborn Italian coming at out of me. No, right you're now, good, so. man. Don't worry about uh, but it. No, no one can pronounce my last name either, so I'm used to it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about your youth program, your feeder program. Like you said, your uh, your program is different than than some of these other programs that you're competing with, and and you've got to find different ways uh to to compete with them and and so you you guys are building a great thing like you said you've made some deep runs here the last few years final four this year in the state so uh what are you doing man what are you doing with your youth that that that's putting your your high school program in such a solid situation when when they're getting to be juniors and seniors yeah i mean i think it's just three things and again i go back to pat abney at pope he taught me this um and he was a great model for this but number one you got to find the right director um carl rush is our junior program director and he's phenomenal because he cares more about development than wins um he doesn't necessarily care if his sixth grade team wins a sixth grade tournament as long as they're getting better um at what we need them to get better at at the varsity level and that's very hard to find um Mm -hmm. honestly i was suggest people try not to have dads or moms coach in their junior program if possible we bring a lot of our ex-players back to coach our junior program because um we just don't want that stigma of a daddy ball situation like we're here for etowah and we're not here for anything other than that yep and so you find a director that believes in that like carl does with us it is so much easier and then he goes and finds his coaches and then the coaches come to me and i give them big things i say here are the non-negotiables and everything after that do your thing yep like junior program coaches don't get paid very much at all if anything and so if i'm going to micromanage them they're going to leave and they're there because they're passionate about basketball so whatever you believe about basketball as long as you can fit into some of these non-negotiables do what you want like i'm a man-to-man guy we play man-to-man defense but i get some sixth grade seventh grade coaches may want to go zone i just tell them listen as long as they're moving with the ball, they're getting closer to the ball, um, they're not just standing in their zone, then go for it. If that's what you want to do and that's what you know, that's fine. Um, offensively, we want to move the ball, make the extra pass, and I don't care what play you call. Like We'll teach them our plays because our plays change every year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to give them, like, this is what we always do because they may not know that. So empowering those coaches to just do what they're good at, to let them get joy in that. And rather than just micromanaging them and coming to them after the game and be like, why'd you call this play? Like who am I to say that to them? They're doing this for free. They're doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Like do what you love to do, have joy in it, have energy in it. I'm not going to take that away from you. Um, But the one thing I think that is really key is that our varsity players and our varsity coaches are present with our junior program. Um, one thing that I've done uh, every year except this year, because we did make a deep run and it was just crazy. I didn't have time to schedule it. But I have coached our seventh grade AAU team uh, two weeks out of the year for the last you know six or seven years. So they get used to me. They get used to how I do things. And they yep. know that I care about them as seventh graders. 
which I think motivates them to get better, to get to me at the varsity level. Um, and that's been a huge deal. And I still remember coaching these seniors that just left. And man, I, I mean, I just, I almost retired when they left because they were so great, just kids, but coaching them seven years ago in seven U or seventh grade AAU was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And you build that relationship early and it pays dividends later. Like I said, my, my point guard could have gone to any program in the nation and, um, he didn't because he knew how much I cared about him. And I think he respected my game as well, but he could have done anything he wanted to do. Uh, but he stuck around because of that investment. And when we do junior nights, um, but we don't do junior nights like a lot of people where you just announce the kids at halftime, we bring them into our pregame yep. and we give them a scouting report and we say, this is what we're trying to do tonight. They don't get to come back at halftime because we don't really know what level I'm going to be on. Sure. And yep. so <laughs> they yep. just do pregame with us. And then if we win, which I think we've done a pretty good job on junior nights of winning, they come back and they celebrate, but they get to see how we prepare, what we're doing, what it's all about. Yep. And that's been huge. Yep. And then um, we do, we do by, by the way, Jason, hold on. Go ahead. We, we do the same thing is we, we have a, oh, we nice. have a, we have a junior night and yeah, we have them come in for the pregame talk. You know, you do the whole thing where you, you warm up for a while and then you come back in, final prep, and we have them come back in for that. Like you said, nothing at halftime. Nope, you're not going to be here for that, depending on how the <laughs> game's going. Uh, but then afterwards, like I said, win or lose, uh, they're back in for that. So uh, uh, we've, we've you know, we've copied that as well, and, and it's, a, it's a great thing to establish a tradition within your program. So I encourage coaches to do that as well. Hundred percent. That's so great that you do that. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Is you mm-hmm. want to keep those kids around. Um, there's so many things pulling at kids mm-hmm. uh, when they're young, and you want them to see like this is what it looks like. And so, man, I'm so glad you do that too. And yeah, I stole that from Pat. I mean, Pat did that. And so, it's not what I do. It's just what he did, and I yep. do it now. And I've seen the dividends. It's mm-hmm. awesome. I'm glad yep. you do it. Yep. And I actually today just um, well, we're starting a skills academy um, because. You know, we had a kid last year named Mason Edder that just knew how to play the game of basketball. Um, and he's gone now. And I was like, man, how do we get kids to be Mason? Because Mason was just there naturally. He had a great family. His brother Jackson walked on at UGA, became a starter there. Uh, Mason has, you know, was a thousand point scorer for us. And like, how do I create them if their family isn't as good as the Edders were? Because it's a fam- fantastic family. And so we're doing Skills Academy before their middle school and elementary tryouts to just show them this is how to play the game of basketball. So many people are caught up in dribble combos and just training on their own that they don't actually know how to play. And so we started, uh, we'll start with one-on-one the first week, and the next week we'll get to two-on-two or two-on-one. Um, uh, we'll never get to five-on-five in this academy, but just teach them to play in space and be um, just know the right read. We as coaches look so much better if we teach our kids how to play rather than just run sets. Because yep. if you're going to play a good team, yep. they're going to take away your sets. Yep. So the skills academy has been big. And just being present and having our guys – I mean, our guys keep score for their games. Um, so they're always there. And then those kids come out. They're our best fans. I mean, you want them involved because you have a junior night, they're there. But they're there every other night. They're going nuts behind our bench. Uh, they look up to these guys, and then we sell, like, in six years, you're going to be that kid. Um, and we wouldn't be able to sell that if uh, we brought in four or five guys every year. And so that's our junior program motto. Great mm-hmm. director that's more worried about development than wins. Um, hold our guys accountable to the main things, but let the coaches coach. And then our varsity players need to give back. 
Like they are a product of that junior program. They need to give back to the junior program. And our coaches need to be present too. And it takes time out of their lives. I mean, all of our coaches are married and have families and it's, it's not fun on a Saturday to go watch a sixth, seventh and eighth grade team, but it's what we need to do. And I challenge them to go to at least one or two games a year. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of catch the fire and, you know, we graduate a huge class, but now we've got dudes that even work harder than they did last year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, reciprocal. So we, we put a huge emphasis on that. Yep. Um, let's cover one more thing here, Jason. How's that sound? Yeah. All right. Love it. Let, let's talk about defense here um, and, and building a great half-court defense. Like you said, you're not a pressing guy. You're not interested nope. in pressing. You're, you're, it's not something that you're comfortable with. Is that – I want to start there – is that a philosophical thing, or is that based on personnel, or is that both? That's a great question. I had to reflect um, when I saw that question, and um, I will say this. Number one, I'm very risk-adverse. Uh, with the type of kids that we've got, we cannot give up an easy basket. Now, if I were to go back and coach my Alpharetta team again, we would have created havoc full court, half court, everywhere, because they were just athletes. They were dudes. I mean, like I said, we got a cornerback playing the NFL, about to sign a huge contract, and I probably, well, I probably, I did not maximize his athletic ability. And so it is my philosophical stance, but since I've been at Etowah, uh, we just haven't had the dudes that can do that. We did it at Alpharetta. We don't now. Um, and so I just I don't want to give up an easy basket. I think that we can create turnovers and fast break opportunities in the half court uh, with scrambling or trapping the first pass or whatever it is. And so for us, we just want to make sure because we don't know if our offense is going to be on. We want to make sure we're sound defensively every game and we don't let them get easy baskets. And I think if you're not an expert on it, and I'm definitely not, um, the press can give up a lot of easy baskets uh, that we just can't afford to give up because we work so hard. Um, we just got a bunch of shooters. We don't have a ton of big dudes. And so if we're not shooting well one night, like we got to defend, we can't mm-hmm. give up easy baskets. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I start. And then, you know, we can get into what we actually do, but that's kind of why I just keep it in the half court. So let's do that, man. Let's get into to, to what you do and, and how you do it. So, so uh, break down the Etowah, uh, man-to-man defensive philosophy and, and everything that you do to build it up. All right. First off, kudos for getting our name right. That was, there we that go. Was big time. The, the, the 37th time was a charm. <laughs> it was huge. No, that's great. You nailed it. Um, so, so you're so, telling me there's a chance. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, yep. Absolutely. Um, so our big thing is guard the ball, um, not your man. We play man-to-man defense, but, you know, even – you know, with our skills academy, we ask our younger guys, like, what in a man-to-man, who do you guard? And they all say man. Like, no, that's not it. You don't guard your man, you guard the ball. Um, your man can't score without the ball. So we put a big emphasis on guarding the ball first. Um, and we're in high school, and for the most part, we're not dealing with college players. So we're not dealing with a team that's got five dudes that can do everything. There's always a weakness out there, and we're going to exploit that in our defense. Uh, and that comes with scouting and, and seeing what their tendencies are. But um, you can always go into the debate of no middle versus middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Beard at Texas Tech really caught my eye on their no middle or just don't give up the middle. Yep. Keep them on one side. I think good coaches at the high school level, at the college level, everything they do is ball reversal to get the defense a little you know off step, and then they attack. And so – We've told our guys, we've we've embraced uh, the no-middle 
defense. We don't think at the high school level that your best shooter is going to be on the backside skip, which is pretty much all we give up. And so we really just drill and get them to understand mentally that you will work hard, but a lot less hard if you keep them on one side. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to be scrambling if you let them reverse it. So once they establish a side, we want to keep it on that side because if it's a really, really good coach, they're probably reversing it anyways. And they may be a systematic team where if you deny the ball reversal, they don't know what to do. Um, And then we also don't think that great shooters on the backside in high school on the first rotation. And so we want to give up the backside skip. And if they do hit the backside skip, we tell our guys, if you're not athletic enough to get from under the goal to the backside skip, then you're probably not going to play for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is what we do at the high school level at Etowah because of matchups and just high school basketball in general. It's just not typically five studs. And even on the teams that do have five studs, if you're going to get your transfers, one of the things I would imagine you would say is you come here and we're going to get you 20 points a game, which means that guys that are sophomores or juniors that will one day be the dude don't get a lot of shots. Yeah. And so even though they may have the skills to make that shot, they're not conditioned to shoot that. They never shoot in practice. Um, and so we just think that we can, if we can make it a five-on-four game, then we're going to be a little bit better off. And so we just drill that all the time in practice. But we don't do a lot of drills in practice. Most of our stuff is small-sided games. We compete. Like our best drill is three-on-three defensive cutthroat where we have defensive turnovers. And so we'll have them three-on-three, and we'll blow the whistle. And if we blow the whistle, that means defense is off, offense to defense, and the next offensive team comes in. And we'll blow the whistle if they don't jump to the ball. If they their man passes and they stay with their man, boom, turnover. Um, we also will um, blow the whistle if they don't close out with their hands up. Because one thing, if it's a skip pass, you better close out with your hands up, at least to get that guy something to think about. So if you close out with your hands down, boom, defensive turnover, you're off. Um, and then obviously if they get to the middle, so if your guy's on a wing and he gets to the nail, boom, turnover, I don't care if they score, they scored on the drill and it just gives our guys, it gives them joy because they're competing. Um, and it also reinforces the fundamentals we want without having to just put them in a line and say, jump to the ball, jump to the ball, jump to yep. the ball. Yep. So that's what we do in practice and it's, it's been working out okay. Yep. Um, most of the time. Do you guys do a lot with closeouts? We do. Um, so the way we structure our practice in the preseason, it's about 20 minutes. During the season, it's about 10 minutes. But the first 10 to 20 minutes, we do fundamentals. And one of the fundamentals we hammer is closing out with your hands up and shading them to the um, to the sideline. Mm-hmm. So we do we do try and get that in there. But mm-hmm. they're kids, and they forget most of the time. I am uh, stealing this one because we're a no-middle team as well. So I'm stealing the uh, you will not have to work as hard if you work hard on keeping it on a side. Uh, that is that is going in the Fort Calhoun girls basketball uh, diatribe of vocabulary or dictionary of vocabulary for us. So I am stealing that one, Jason, and, and uh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. That's uh, no worries. And uh, do you guys have a shot clock in Nebraska right now? Not we do only for the two biggest classes. So class A is our biggest class. So that's like Omaha, Lincoln, uh, those schools. And they had it last year for both boys and girls, went over really well. So now the the next level, which is Class B, and so those um, 
those schools will now have it this year. I think it's 30-second shot clock. And I would imagine within the next year or two, we will have it. We're the next level below uh, Class B. And so I imagine within two years, I would guess everybody in the state will have it. That would be my uh, – I would bet your mortgage on that. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, I, I bet it. Um, I'd love for you to pay my mortgage. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> But, um, no, I mean, that, that has helped us. We've had it now for about three years in Georgia, and a lot of people will talk about how it's going to help, you know, the super athletic teams, but I think it helps the teams that play good defense for 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Because if you can play good defense for 15 seconds, kids are going to break down and take a bad shot, especially if that clock's ticking down. Panic. Uh, and so it has helped so much from a defensive standpoint having – ours is 35. I wish it was less. I wish it was 30. I mean, we tracked it last year. I mean, nobody – holds it for 35 seconds more than once or twice and unless it's an in-game situation mm-hmm. so that has really helped this defense philosophy and us just telling our kids like listen if you just play defense really really hard and you just keep them on one side for 15 seconds they're going to take a bad shot it's mm-hmm. just going to happen yeah. and so that has definitely helped the shot clock has definitely helped us on defense awesome awesome great stuff jason love it um great stuff here tonight if folks want to know more about you or the etowah uh program how do they find out? I mean, they can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Coach Jay Dassinger. But really and truly, I just tweet about, you know, and Twitter is a, a funny beast. I tweet <laughs> about our stuff, like our, our stats, and I tweet about all the other school uh, programs at our school because I really want to boost uh, involvement in all athletics. And so there's not a whole lot of basketball stuff there, but they can reach out to me at Jason Dastard at gmail.com. I love talking basketball um, with people that just want to learn. And that's why, you know, when you ask about references and what has influenced me, I like the clinic notes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is your experience, but a lot of time I'll go to clinics and when you start talking to people, it's just this is what we did, this is how we're good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at a clinic and a college coach came up and he was 15 minutes late to the clinic and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. We win because we got the best athletes, but I'm going to talk about reading react. So here we go. And so I didn't get a whole lot of that um, deal. <laughs> Boy, that made you, that made you feel really good. Plopping down a couple hundred bucks for that day, huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, well this doesn't work for us, but if you, you can find PDFs all the time on specific people that you like, Brad Stevens, Chris Beard, Nate yep. Oates, golly, he is so good. Yep. And his clinics are so, you know, impressive. And so, I like to just read those, but I love talking basketball without an agenda, just mm-hmm. getting better. Yep. Well, I think people are going to get better from our conversation uh, tonight, Coach. Uh, really appreciate you uh, coming in here and, and, and helping out. And, uh, you know, I hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin. Absolutely, man. I appreciate what you do for our community. High school coaches, I think, are overlooked. There's a lot of great ones. And,. I've stolen several napkin plays, so keep it up. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it very much. So uh, I haven't done as well with the napkins lately. There's been the last couple months have just been chaotic, and and just haven't stayed on top of it the way I feel like I should. So, uh, you know, uh, Labor Day promise to start doing a better job of that here. So, uh, but hey, let's, uh, Jason, let's wrap it up here. If you hold the line for a minute while I get some things taken care of. Uh, Absolutely. Again, Jason Dossinger, uh, the head boys basketball coach at, and this is my last shot at it, Etowah, Etowah High School. Did I get it right? Crushed it. 100%. Yes. 
Etowah High School. So I'm going to leave on that note, and that's the last time it's going to be mentioned. Uh, appreciate his time here tonight. Uh, really, really good stuff. A lot of good things. Check out his program. Check out his Twitter there. Uh, again, coaches, uh, we want to thank COSAC Chiropractic, our founding sponsor for the podcast. If you're in need of chiropractic services, reach out to Dr. Kevin and Dr. Heidi, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits, so check that out. And speaking of coaching stuff, if you can, and I understand if you're living in Atlanta, it's a little bit harder to get to Omaha on October 14th and 15th, but we are we are launching our first annual fall coaches retreat, 26 hours of coaching stuff going on for a really, really affordable price. So come up and you know, check that out. Head into Omaha if you, if you can. So download, rate, and review this podcast. Give us five stars, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas. Email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Want to really, again, thank Coach Dossinger for coming on here tonight. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.